Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today. Today, we've got Owen Jennings back with us. Now, Owen was on the panel the day after the election we had with the ex-Feds presidents. Um, and he's also been on uh, on the show on his own accord with um, the Methane Science Accord, actually, uh, the group that he and others have set up. And, of course, Owen's a former Federated Farmers president, uh, farmer, actually, from the West Coast originally, and, and an ACT Party um, MP as well. So Owen's well-versed in things politic and... Owen, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, we're going to go and uh, break into this coalition agreement uh, document a bit and look specifically at the primary sector. Welcome back. Um, what's your first impressions of, uh, of of the agreements that you have read? Well, yeah, it's good to be back with you guys, and um, you're doing a great job uh, you know, reaching out, particularly to the rural community, but even wider, and that's really important because the the, the weight of um, news and information going out has been uh, heavily slanted in favour of uh, people uh, who haven't got a, a particularly useful view for the rural community. So um, it's um, really interesting, I think, because um, uh, the initial reaction, I think, was, was one of relief. We've got rid of the worst government we've ever had yeah. Um, we've got people making positive noises about sensible change, and I think everybody went, wow, thank goodness. Uh, it was when we got into the detail and looked particularly closely at what was being proposed in the coalition arrangements for uh, farming in rural New Zealand that most of us realised that it, it, it was kind of once over lightly, but particularly around methane, you know, the there's just too much um, focus on on uh, mitigation and and so-called um, you know scientific and technical breakthroughs that are supposed to be coming that uh, and and not enough focus on 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 you know what the real problem is. I mean, Jasper and Don, my problem all along with this situation has been this: when the problem first started emerging, mm. our farm leadership jumped in. At the level of saying, well, if we're going to pay taxes, we want to. We don't want to pay this, and we don't want to pay that. Um, you know, we need to adjust the targets. We need. Nobody stopped and said, "Hey, is there a problem? What yeah. is the nature of this problem? And what's New Zealand's contribution to this problem?" Now, I've I've had a look at at what um, uh, Dave Frame, Professor Dave Frame, said to the Farmers Weekly. Uh, a week or two ago, and, and you know, if you look deeply into what he's saying, and and analyse his numbers, not my numbers, not not the methane accords numbers, but his numbers, and he's suggesting that the amount of warming, the actual temperature rise that comes about in his view from ruminant methane in New Zealand is four millionths of a degree per year. Can you get that? Four 
millionths of one degree per year. Mm-hmm. Now, I think he's exaggerating wildly. In fact, if you if you go to uh, and look at, at the work, that's more recent work that's come out from people like Professor David Coe, uh, Fabinski, uh, Sheehan, uh, Happer, Wingarten and Co., then they're, they're more inclined to believe that it's about 1.19 millionths of a degree per year. Uh, Now, I know that's absurd and ludicrous, um, but essentially that's where we're at. We've more or less said the science tells us that there's no problem, that what New Zealand's contribution is is nil. What we're now doing is fighting politics. We're fighting the politics of the green, whose greens who are yelling, that we need to get rid of cows and yeah. and sheep and, and ruminants. We're fighting uh, people who think the world's going to end. Well, get a life. Um, the world's got a great self-correcting mechanism. The planet's shown over millions of years that if it encounters a cycle or a problem with rising temperatures or falling temperatures or different conditions, it's got a great self-correcting mechanism. Go back to sleep, guys. It's not a worry. Mm-hmm. So, it's- so in, in defence of um, previous farm leaders, of which I was one, uh, Owen, <laughs> I have to say that we didn't have the information that uh, we have now, and, and that's the gall in part from probably 2017 onward, although Co et al., as you talk about, um, did put papers out a bit earlier. That information and, and wasn't... Look- Happy, happy to admit that. You know, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? Um, we're all pretty, pretty sharp when it comes to hindsight. Um, <laughs> but you know, when when the um, Hewekanoa yep. system was established, what did they do? They they jumped in at the wrong end. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We need to go back to basics. Even now, we need to determine what is this warming that has happened, and and. You know, um, I, I guess my other argument uh, in all of this is um, there's a sort of a, a feeling abroad that, well, we're just a small country. The whole world's, um, you know, chasing this thing and making adjustments and introducing new measures and cutting oil and fossil fuel use, et cetera. So, so we, can't, we can't buck the system. We can't fight against that. But I say that's a nonsense. We've got a case, a sound case, on behalf of ruminant methane for ruminant methane to be excluded from any of the measures that might be taken, stupid and all as they are, against uh, greenhouse gases. And it's simple. We use CO2 to produce our methane. Fossil fuels don't. Fossil fuels have been under the ground for a few million years, as we know, when they come up and be used, they are adding to something. We are not adding to anything. The, the, the pool of methane arising from New Zealand's agriculture is diminishing right now. It's come down since 2005, and it annoys me that the media and scientists continue to go back to 1990 as a base year, ignoring the fact that since 2005, the trend is steady, stable, and slightly falling. So, you know, um, why don't we make a case out for the fact that we're different? We use CO2 
in producing methane. Nobody else has that kind of luxury. Um, and carve out a, a case for ourselves that puts us in a different uh, situation. Yeah, and it's not just you know producers; they are listeners. If you are living in the urban New Zealand, the methane issue is coming for you. They are now demonizing your food scraps, which I hope would hopefully be most of them from New Zealand produced, New Zealand grown mm. <coughs> pastures. <coughs> Meat, That's vegetables, and so point, on. So it's it? it's it's, yeah. it's coming for everything, and no one tells us what success looks like. True. I mean, one of the things that really um, makes me deeply concerned, even upset, is, is the way we're treating the third world. I've spent quite a bit of time in places like India, Nepal, Thailand, parts of Africa. Uh, and work with farmers and you know for some time in that area so got a reasonably good grasp of their situation and they're getting absolutely screwed blind by all of this cop 28 26 or whatever it is this week um and and they're being thrown a little bit of lolly most of which ends up in consultants hands by the way not in the hands of you know of a of a mother trying to um cook in a in a mud hut, you know, with a fire and smoke, um, killing herself and her, her kids as a result. Um, you know, we're talking about food. We're talking about life sustenance. And we we feed 5 million people. Uh, uh, we feed 40 million people out of New Zealand with our 5 million population, 40 million people. And we're talking about cutting the, that supply by up to 20% with with you know, sheep and beef and 5% mm. with dairy. Why? Why? Why are we depriving people of the very essence of life, food? It's time we, you know, got serious about some of this stuff and, and stood up for ourselves a lot more strongly as food producers feeding hungry people. Yeah, I can't disagree with that, uh, Owen. Um, I know there's some feeling of the United and the U, sorry, of the people that are, Talking about the United Nations and the COP28, that it's very simple for the um, for the third or the third world countries, as they're called, to have their hand out as well. Um, and whether that is spent wisely would be my issue. Um, yeah, they do have their hand out. Where does that money go? Uh, was it would be a question that I ask. And I know some of it will hit the ground, but probably not enough of it. The thing that beats me in all of this, and I'm trying to narrow this down to try and take the edge off the debate. It's my view, understanding what you now know, uh, and we've all learned in the last five or six years by reading the papers that laymen can read, um, that methane from any source, forget about ruminant methane, from any source, has such a minuscule effect on warming. It is in those millionth of a degree per, per year. So why are we bothering to vilify even one sector when we know that methane from any source can never be a problem that is worth talking about in a mixed atmosphere with clouds, uh, with water vapor, with everything else. It just, everything out there now is saying this is the biggest non-problem. So it's so a small problem, not a big mm -hmm. problem. And yet we've got in these uh, coalition agreements for instance, the National Enact one says maintain a split gas approach to methane and carbon dioxide through to 2050 and review the methane science targets in 2024 consistency 
with no additional warming from agricultural methane emissions. And then New Zealand first one is stop the current review of um, the ETS system to restore confidence and certainty to the carbon trading market. I'd just say let that bloody market die. Sorry, I'm, I have to swear there. Progress to work. Progress work to recognise other forms of carbon sequestration, including blue carbon. Incentivise the uptake of emissions reduction mitigation, such as low methane genetics and low methane producing animal no. feed. Liberalise genetic engineering laws. I mean, all of this stuff says we've got a problem still. It all says we've got a problem and it all says we need to have farmers complying and writing bits of papers and letting letting companies like their processes and their banks tell them they have to do X, mm. Y, Z mm. when actually they have to do nothing. Nothing. And, you know, as I said, go back to basics. Start at the beginning. Mm. The beginning is, is there a problem? Answer is, now we know there isn't a problem. So why are we doing all this stuff? It, you know, the coalition agreement is a, a scattergun approach, isn't it? Yes. It just sort of gathers up everybody's little angle and, and gives it a push. Um, you know, uh, let's go back to the beginning and start well, again. Well, uh, clearly, um, I know that the ACT Party's view over years, I've followed that and I've followed um, the National Party's view over recent years, and New Zealand First wasn't around for the last three years, so we didn't really know what they were on. Um, you know, on about, but um, <laughs> what gets me is um, David Seymour knows what's uh, he can read science, he says. He said that recently, he can read uh papers, and I know he can. Um, Mark Cameron was their um primary industry spokesman through the last three years, and I feel sorry for Mark because he did a good job from, from a ground zero, he came in and did a fantastic job. Uh, I thought, and but he's been displaced by, um, you know, Andrew Hoggard, the former Fed's president, who also knows the stuff that you know, and yet they still aren't talking about it. Mark Patterson, the primary sector uh, chap for New Zealand First, knows the stuff you know. We mm. know he talks with people that we know, but he's not listening. He's not listening. That's, that's a real problem, isn't it? Because, you know, if I pick up the phone and ring the chairman of Beef and Lamb or or Dairy NZ, uh, uh, privately over the phone they'll say, yeah, 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 we hear you, we understand what you're saying, uh, and put the phone down and then go to a meeting and say we've got to do something about it. Um, we've got this dichotomy which just is so irritating and, and um, you know, I cannot see why we couldn't, our feet firmly on the ground and say, we now know from the science, not just from one scientific paper, but from the science generally, there is no problem. And then we work out how we present that situation internationally. And that's the part I think that, that you know, we need, we need to um, see a bit of, I uh, better call it intestinal fortitude. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and what I'm not seeing is, is when I read what Prime Minister Luxon has said over the last 12 months or so, you know, he's he made odd comments. It's pretty clear that he he, he drinks this Kool-Aid. Um, you know, he's, in fact, in many ways, his statements don't differ much from James Shaw's statements. Um, mm. So we, we're going to have to rely, I think, on yet again, farmers standing shoulder to shoulder and saying, 
you know, we do need to revisit the basics before we uh, keep diving down the rabbit hole of mitigation and genetic engineering and whatever it might be and, and all the stuff that the coalition agreement is so, um, you know, voluble on. We, we don't need that. We just need basic science. No problem. What's the next question? Yeah, how can these are weasel words? How can you say that you're going to review the methane science and targets in 2024 for consistency? And a few lines down the same page, in the same breath, you're pretty much saying you're going to incentivize the uptake of emission reductions with low methane genetics. This is, I don't yeah. even know, can we call this lies anymore? Is this just pacifying the plebes, incentivizing now, saying they'll allow us to uh, allow sequestration of. Uh, on farm grass and other things, this vegetation, I would say, which was quite uh, heavily contested previously, that we'll allow you for this shelter belt or we won't allow you. But again, as you said, Owen, the question is wrong. Do we need that? Is mm. there a problem? What are the trade-offs? And what is this compliance regime going to cost us? And I think therein lie some of the answers, because before the problem, the compliance regime is ready. They know how much they're going to get in levies from there. They know how much funding is going to come. It's going to go into research. And therein lies the problem. When you have put the cart before the horse, there's there's no wonder we are heading down this path that we... Well, as, as somebody said, you know, I went looking for the science and I found the money. Mm. Um, you know, uh, there's a good deal of truth in that. I think, I think quite frankly, Beef and Lamb and, and Dairy and Zed saw... Uh, huge revenue opportunities in this, particularly going back, you know, to um, Hawakanoa. So that that's been a factor. But let me just touch back on something you mentioned, Jasper, because I think it's important. The sheer, I'm going to call it evil, the mm. sheer absurdity of ignoring farm vegetation. I mean, what a travesty that was uh, to think that somehow. You could tax the outputs and ignore the inputs. The inputs. I mean, that is just that it just um, tells you that there's some other agenda going on here, and that's that's the problem. We're not dealing with the science. When in a way, we're not even dealing with the the politics. We're dealing with um, people Ideology. Who are pushing pushing another agenda. Na internationally and even locally here, and um, we 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 just need that exposed. We need people who are prepared to stand up. For goodness' sake, I'm I'm old. I'm supposed to be, you know, playing bowls and doing my gardening. I don't know why I'm messing around on the, with this thing, but I just can't let it go because of the sheer um, inconsistency, the sheer hypocrisy, the sheer evil of all of this, uh, and. Um, you know, good on you guys for keeping up the pressure, you know, from your perspective with radio. But we've got to get our farm leaders. You know, I want Andrew Hoggart to stand up and say in Parliament, this is a nonsense. We don't need this. We don't need mitigation. We don't need to play with the genetics of our rams and our bulls. We don't need all these um, measures. Um, they're just Baby. unnecessary. We don't, but I, I, you know, you saw me struggling when I was trying to say sequestration for grass or a bit of uh, planting here and there because I then 
once I start going that that route, then it's almost like me admitting that carbon dioxide is a problem and all of that. And I struggle with that. But if you're going to be measuring warming in the millionth of a degree, well, you can jolly well come and measure every single blade of grass and, you know, bush that is there. Because then there, so it's, I try to avoid, you know, arguing within the allowed narrative. But if you're going to go down and you're going to have portable chambers to measure methane output, well, you can come and measure grass and shrubs and herbs for all that I care. I'm glad you mentioned that factor because it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, historically, if we look back at the world's problems, show me a problem and I'll show you a technology solution. That's the way the world works. We, We are challenged by things that confront us and, and people put their mind to it and come up with with answers. And, and it, it's difficult to deal, on the one hand, with an understanding that says technology will resolve any issues if they are real, uh, and at the same time been saying there isn't a problem to deal with. So it's a kind of a straddling of two kind of separate issues. Um, but let's start clearly and plainly without any nonsense there is no problem created by methane entering the atmosphere end of story and and you know it doesn't appear that in these coalition agreements that strength of argument has been put up by the softly softly clauses that i'm reading here now so clearly you've uh, identified that um the new prime minister has got some predetermined views um that he's intransigent on and these other two parties have tried to tread softly around it. That's what it says to me. And I think the softly, softly approach is is a failing of this coalition agreement. I know to have a coalition of the willing, you actually have to sort of, they say politics is the art of compromise. Sorry, it may be. But for me, uh, principles come over um, over uh, trump everything. And if you ain't got principles, you got nothing. And so just going back, to um, where we talked about sequestration. I agree with Jasper. As soon as you start talking about this, you're done. You're admitting that there's a uh, compliance regime and you're part of it. And you know what? I've I've never had to bother about it because I've always been pretty down on this from the moment I learned of carbon trading way back in the 80s when I used to be into forestry. And I thought that was a nonsense because I was trading carbon and everything I produced. Didn't matter what I looked at. I was growing uh, uh, plants and um, and animal proteins and wool, all embedded carbon. Um, didn't think that I needed to do anything different because I was already a very good carbon trader. But it was all in a voluntary situation. Let everything happen in a voluntary situation. If someone wants to trade my come and measure sequestration on my farm and give me the right to you know, sort of say, well, Don, you can voluntarily trade this for my boots. But no one's yeah. going to do that. They need to hide behind legislation, and that's the problem. That's why I made that very curse, uh, cursive word. Uh, I said, let it bloody well die. The emissions trading scheme and the tra- carbon trading market is full of legislative privilege, and the people that are in it that won't let it die, I will guarantee plenty of politicians are trading carbon. Yeah, it, it's pretty likely because it's potentially um, 
a gravy train, you know, uh, of, of par excellence. Um, <laughs> another factor in all of this is, you know, the measuring of all this stuff is so imprecise. <laughs> I mean, my very good friend Neil Henderson up in the back of Gisborne, yep. who you'll, I'm sure, know, hmm. uh, Neil's a great guy, and um, uh, he's had his farm assessed for its um, carbon levels and um, he's had three different assessments done and and three different results i mean we we're talking we're talking with with you know particularly around carbon trading and and uh, these kind of measurement system we're talking guesswork we're not talking precision and and you know if somebody came to me and said we're going to we're going to reassess your income for last year and going to multiply it by 3 or divide it by three or whatever, I'd be up in arms and so would anybody else. But we can have people arrive on our farm and say, oh, we've, we've decided that, you know, your methane levels are much higher or your total methane output's different or whatever. And we calmly say, well, yeah, okay, how much we pay? I mean, this is the sheer nonsense of all of this. There's just no precision in any of this and that allows people to exploit it. Well, and of course, that. I, I think that just puts me in this back to where I started again, Alan. I'm going to challenge you. That, by inference, is dignifying another compliance regime. Uh, anyone who wants to come and measure this stuff under the under legislative privilege is is endorsing it. So, I think the Methane Science Accord needs to, and I'm not going to tell you your business, but I think it needs to think about letting anyone through the farm gate to do anything on an involuntary basis. Hmm. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's fair enough, and it's certainly been part of the discussion. And, yes. You know, we, we, what's urgently needed right now is for uh, the Accord to be able to sit down with the key decision makers and, and, and analyse a little bit more closely what they are saying in that coalition agreement and what will be allowed yeah. and what won't be allowed. Um, that's 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 the next phase, and we've written to the prime minister, all of the senior cabinet people, and said, before you finalise these arrangements, we'd like to have some input into them, um, and input from the very basics, from first principles, not from a position where you know a whole lot of presumptions are being made before we start. Yeah, well, that and, and you know that's the respectful thing to do, um, and I accept you've got to be respectful in anything we do. I've um, often had the thought, though, uh, that proponents of misinformation on this stuff should actually have the threat of legal action put against them, including our levy body um, directors. I know that sounds vicious, and I, um, but I, but you know, twenty years of frustration. Yeah, think about this, Owen. Um, I tried my best for six or so years leading the Fed's climate change or climate variation policy, as I as I called it then. And the day I left, it seemed that, oh, foot's off the throat, let it go. Yeah. And yeah. 14 years on, I'm thinking, what the hell? Or 13 years, I'm thinking, well, you know, if things are rotten, things are rotten. How can people ever think it's okay in a director's role to trade the rights of the individual. And the mantra for me was always to maintain authority over property for the member. My issue is, where did these people in our 
processing companies or our levy bodies or our voluntary organisation like Federated Farmers ever determined that they had a right to make rules and accept rules in collaboration with the government that were okay. To me, that, sorry, I'll finish one last sentence, is this. It's, oh, we should have a line in the sand. It is no, not doing it. So that then there's no culpability for the directors of anybody saying we're not doing it, puts all the liability back on the uh, politicians of the day. Look, it's hard to argue against that. Of course you're right. And you're far too principled to be a politician <laughs> anyway, Don. Um, you, you, <laughs> Well, but look, I mean, it's it's like this. Beef and Lamb have got a, an annual meeting coming up and they've invited their membership to submit um, remits for their annual meeting. What have they done? They've put out a dictate that says remits must be 25 words or less, knowing full well, knowing full well that that will make it extraordinarily difficult for people who want to debate the issues around methane with them to actually frame a remit. Um, you know, I think that's uh, a, 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 a blindsided move that's all about cutting democracy, cutting the opportunity out for people who want to participate in a fair and meaningful way. And, and I think beef and lamb directors are, um, should be answering on that issue. And if necessary, as you say, they should answer in court because they have been elected there on behalf of the industry and they don't need to think that they've got so much power and so much control that they can dictate terms um, of democratic process to that extent. Um, unfortunately, and you will recall this, you get elected to a senior position, and it's very, uh, very easy for um, for each of us to think that you know people open car doors for us and and bow and scrape and write and congratulate us and say how good we are. Before you know where you are, your head's three times bigger than it was last week. And, you know, what we need is, is fundamental integrity. We, we need people to go back to the basics of serving the people, democratic process, and, and to principles that voluntarism is more effective than regulation, that property rights are inviolate, that, you know, th those fundamental things that, that we know, they need to be revived. They need to be talked of again and and supported. Um, uh, that's my kind of beef. Let's go back to basics and ask yeah. some very straightforward questions. Now, yeah. Owen, and I, this is possibly both of you, this is my ignorance. You've been out of parliament for about 20 years. Don has been out of his uh, role as first president for nearly a decade, just over. Was it the norm for the government to go into joint ventures with private players? And I'm referring to what, uh, you know, Jane mm. Smith, uh, your spokesperson on Methane Accord, she's been talking about the AgriZero, which is a, in which the government is a 50% shareholder and it's a partnership between government, ANSCO, Fonterra, Rabobank, Ravenstown, Silverfern, Sinlay. Mm. I, I see this as... Uh, an unsettling move. Why is the government going to joint venture with private players who pretty much control, be it co-ops, but who pretty much control the whole primary sector? Are we being completely compromised then? Jasper, it worries me greatly 
But ultimately, I can kind of say, well, I got a vote. You know, I've, I can change some of that. What I can't change is the banks saying, well, we might not lend you money unless you com comply with this, these new rules or we'll charge you another 2% interest. That I find totally obnoxious. I just can't um, think for a moment that there's any integrity in that sort of, um, you know, vicious, pincer-like activity. And, and um, you know, if Silverfern Farms or Fonterra make rules over the top of my head that are idiotic and, and unprincipled, well, I do have a vote. It might mm. be much influence, but I have some. But, but when Australian banks take me to the cleaners, that's another problem. But then there's this sort of policy work going on there. When I look at AgriZero.nz, their website, they are declaring it's big, three big blocks. The one in green says ag represents 75 of Aotearoa's exports. Then ag contributes 50% of our greenhouse gas emissions. Then in blue, 76% of these are methane. This is open admission of what's going on, yeah. what they the views that they subscribe to, and how does a change of government affect joint ventures like this? Will the current government, will the new government now simply continue that joint venture? Will they back out of it? I don't know. I mean, you would have expected MPI or others to be doing some research within themselves, but when the public and the private sector combine well, what happens to the average farmer out in his paddocks? Yeah. You have no say there. True. And um, ultimately, all of this gets back to the fact that, you know, the reason we formed the accord was to try and bring together groups that are anxious about these issues, that are concerned about them, and try and speak on their behalf. And, and uh, we're going to have to... Um, do a lot of work over the next little while uh, or get to a point where uh, we say non-cooperation, walk away, um, use the combined strength of the of the com farming community and, and the strong support we have throughout the wider rural community. And even, I mean, at the Accord, we've got numerous members in the Accord who are city people who have written to us and said, we're on your side. We're not farmers, but we can see the nonsense going on here and, and the lack of integrity. Uh, so we support you. So we, we may well get to the point where it won't be a tractor march. It will be just straight defiance of any imposition of regulation, which is not founded in sound science and practicality. And if it was sound science, I would have expected out here saying 76% of these emissions are methane on the AgriZero website. Then they would spell out, this is what success looks like. We are we are currently, our warming is say one millionth or whatever it is. And it is going to, when we are done with this, we are going to be spending these many million. Your product is going to be affected like this, say in volume, or they might even, dare I say it, put up a figure up of how much premium say I would get for milk because my incentive, the the green premium that they would capture for me, this is what you'd be earning, even though you might lose a bit yeah. in production, might cost you more. And this is where we will bring the global temperature down to. They yeah. don't mention yeah. anything. It's just a foregone yeah. conclusion here. 
Well, something that tells you very clearly what's going on is the last um, AR6 report put out by the IPCC. In the scientific section, they dealt with the issue of GWP star, which was right and proper that they should. Not that I'm a supporter of it. All all GWP um, is nonsense and and, has no place. But they dealt with the issue. What they didn't do was put anything in the uh, AR6 report for public consumption. Now, that tells me something. It tells me that um, what goes out for public consumption has to be what the Green parties and the and the um, doomsday people are looking for, not what the scientists are proposing. Um, and that's what we're up against. We're, we're up against politicians who won't stand uh, on their, you know, on integrity, who compromise at, at first blush. Um, we're, we're dealing with scientists who, who won't stand up to what they believe. We're dealing with farm leaders who will tell you privately, yeah, I'm on your side, but won't do anything publicly. Well, we've got news for them. It's going to have to change, guys. Yep, and and that's the sort of hard-nosed approach. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll try and push back. And the, the way that the former Minister for Climate Change pushed back, oh, your markets are demanding this, and uh, currently we've got marketers and all those main companies saying you've got to do X, Y, Z or else you won't get these, this, this return. Um, it's easy and convenient for them to talk about this stuff. Um, but as Jaspreet said, putting a dollar value on it's a lot harder for them, and um, they've never been cornered enough. In fact, I was at a local meeting a few weeks ago where um, it was exposed to me that one of the other processes was not jumping the hurdles that Fonterra is to supply the same company. Now, whether the price was a differential pricing regime, I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I still Don, hold... Don, you, Don, you show me... Sorry to interrupt you, but you show me one company, Fonterra, Silverburn Farms, any company exporting New Zealand produce that has said publicly, published, put on a carton or a, or a, a bag of meat, the statement that New Zealand has the lowest carbon footprint of any food producer. Show me, show me. Why didn't yeah. they? If, 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 if our consumers are so concerned about it, why weren't they told? This is a load of humbug, this yes. idea that somehow there's a lot of consumers out there waiting for New Zealand to fix its methane problem. What a lot of nonsense. If if it was so important, then our position as the number one uh, nation in the world, food-producing nation in the world, our position would have been extolled and, and made a virtue of long before now. The fact that it isn't tells me that this is just humbug. Well, and on top of all that, um, I, look, I don't disagree. Well said, Owen. Um, <clears throat> what amuses me, and it w- winds me up a bit as well, is that the people that are telling us to do stuff, the regulators or the marketers, they tell us that we've got to become more efficient or we've got to, pr- and some of the regulators say the inferences we've got to produce less but none of them stop having a pay increase every year or another overseas trip. Uh, They want us to produce more. They just want to enter your checkbook a bit more. It is all about, as my former colleague John Morrison used to say, it's all about taking the unearned increment. And that's Mm -hmm. where it is. And we've let it happen. 
uh, and 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 it's to our to my consternation, I haven't been able to push back on it in my entire farming life. I don't think there's been any wins from any farmer politician in the last 50 years that actually counts on this matter, on this front. There's been very few, maybe the rural delivery fee or something way back, but look at that now, rural delivery is almost, almost toast. Um, so Owen, let's move on. I mean, we could be miserable on this forever, but let's hope uh, the Methane Science Accord um, can have some emphasis that counts uh, because it didn't, we, we've got to get more people on your side. So that's a plea for people to join the Methane Science Accord. We've got to, the stooges amongst farmers, and there's plenty of them who actually take the regulator's side or they've got a pal in a, in a company or a pal in politics. They always um, try to undermine you. We've got to be ready to stand up against those people. We've got to be ready to stand up against the companies of which we can't name here, that are profiting out of all this uh, legislation. And, and and you won't know their names. Uh, uh, they're not that they are profiting because they don't front the stuff. They're in behind getting mm. getting the cash. So, look, let's move on from um, all of this and talk about some other good things that are in the coalition agreement. Uh, then we'll get right back to some bad things again. But the best thing I saw was in the ACT Party um, one, to be to be fair, and it was around, and I have to find it, it was around the RMA, uh, mm. reforming the RMA, and I need to find it, and I haven't got it right here. But uh, they talk about how they are going to reform and revise the RMA and recognise property rights mm. as the premise. And for 30 years, some of us have been on that wavelength. So fantastic. But just think about this, 2007-08, um, I remember under the, sorry, 2008, uh, the new national government then was streamline and simplify was the discussion of the RMA. Uh, there's been a bit of titivation, but you don't hear anyone saying it's been streamlined or simplified. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And look, I've got a builder living next door to me and I asked him about the RMA and, and you know, he immediately starts um, venting and, and you know, the anger is, is, is palpable because of the wheels he has to jump through to get where he wants to go to. So I, th I think the thing, Don, is that national historically as a political force have always been tinkerers, that they've never been really ones to have the stomach for full major reform. And the RMA, if ever anything needs a first principles approach, it's it's a whole area of resource management. Um, the people that think the only way to rule the world is by regulation, the only way to make any changes is by by fiat, by law, uh, are fundamentally wrong. They miss out on the on the greater satisfaction and and better outcomes that come from taking people with you by using voluntary instruments and 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 persuasion and and um, and peer pressure. That that's how we change the world, not not by by being holier than thou and sitting in Wellington and and issuing. Uh, regulations galore. It's interesting. Um, that those builders you talk about in your neighbourhood, um, not only do they have the RMA as as the first 
base to cross cross they outside of the building act to to manage as well and um, as i used to say every nail is burdened with bureaucracy but just going back to the point that is in the act agreement it is replaced the resource management act 1991 with new resource management laws premised on the enjoyment of property rights as the guiding principle and you know aside from all the other stuff that's in there the social policy stuff that's being talked about and you know the the maori and co-governance stuff and all to me that's the pinnacle that's the pinnacle clause it, in this it, whole it, document it, for it's me it's a great it's a great statement um you know what I, i've got a feeling that the in the new parliament the opposition is actually going to be the national party <laughs> I, I think I think I agree. I think Act and New Zealand First want to see some major changes, and the League Group may well be the people who who instinctively dislike major change. I hope I'm wrong. I, I want to be wrong, obviously, but the RMA of all of the pieces of legislation and change that uh, are urgently needed. That's the one that's going to really need to go back to first principles and start again with a clean sheet of paper. Absolutely. It's been a handbrake on New Zealand for a long time, as much as um, the NGOs of the left, extreme left, um, uh, like Greenpeace, uh, they really want it to stay and be enhanced and more of a leg rope on New Zealand society. So interestingly, Oh, and another point I want to talk about is, and I'm not sure you're up with it, these freshwater farm plants that the former government decided they were going to have, very little consultation, just and, and they had farmers sort of jumping through hoops to say uh, how they could do it, uh, and their local, local catchment groups and the like. And, you know, there doesn't appear to be much backing down on this because in the New Zealand First uh, National coalition agreement it talks about uh uh more of the same effectively support farm environment plans administered by regional councils and targeted at a catchment level adopt standardized farm level reporting um the act party talks about them as well and it goes on to talk about significant natural areas and and the like uh act party is a bit more onerous perhaps or a bit more forgiving uh from what i'm about to talk about but mm -hmm. my point is this any farmer that thinks that they can have voluntary best practice that doesn't lead to some sort of busybody coming inside your farm gate is dreaming. So why is it that we've got these people thinking, oh, but we want voluntary from, well, we don't want freshwater plans mandated, but we'll do voluntary ones. Voluntary ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. I always they, think, you know, you drive into the Danny Verks, the Gores, the Ashburtons, uh, the Dargavilles, and one of the two biggest buildings in town, one is the Department of Social Welfare, we won't go down that road, but the other is the Regional Council or the, or the you know, the council bureaucrats who have to be housed because there's so many of them. We've created a huge industry that's often looking for something to do. When the RMA was first written in, what was it, 91 or 93? 91. Um, we, we, we had to hire a whole lot of people to write plans for district plans and regional plans and water plans and whatever. They wrote the plans and then they sat down and said, well, what do we do now? And part of the 
malaise that we're suffering at the moment is because we've got too many people, at, particularly at regional level, with not enough to do, who, who are running around looking for, for work and for opportunities, whether it's policing or adding regulations and, and, and creating, you know, mayhem on that front. And, and you know, that's going to take some real guts to deal with. And unless there's a minister that's going to be absolutely uh, rigid and and uncompromising, th- this thing will just carry on because it's such a huge industry. It's it's not just Wellington. It it's it's what's happening out there on the ground in small towns and on factories and farms where these people are are, are doing their thing and. Um, I think it would take 10 years of really decisive, principled, but firm management and direction to bring it back under control and and to restore in the minds of people that you can gain the outcomes you look. We can achieve as a community and as a society the things we desire for without having to hound each other and penalise each other with rules and regulations and bureaucrats and policing, we can actually achieve the things we want without having to go down that road. And and we've demonstrated it time and time again, probably no better demonstration at a farming level than what's been achieved by the Queen Elizabeth II National Trust. That, that, that is unheralded, unsung, you really see a headline, but huge areas of New Zealand have been are being conserved on a day-by-day basis, fenced, pests are taken out. That just goes on quietly while down the road, bureaucrats are chasing people, um, hounding them, uh, and often for no good reason. I mean, who decided that our rivers were dirty? Yep. Who, who decided that? A bureaucrat. There's no Ooh. proof. New Zealand's rivers are some of the best in the world. If you do go back to the time, and I'm not sure when it was precisely, the years, but we were actually adjudged on an international basis. We produced the top three of, of the four rivers that in the world which were said to be clean. Now, uh, that is pretty subjective, I know, but we allow ourselves to be dominated by people who can make wild statements without any justification and then start to wield the regulatory stick. Back to first principles. Well, on that basis, nothing more recently exposes that better than the cryptosporidium um, outbreak in Lake um, Queenstown's water supply. The first response was from sheep in the catchment. Uh, thankfully, it's been found to be humans, sheep. But yeah, imagine, they, they, they they just throw it out there, you know? Uh, who who someone heads should rule for stuff like this, but they don't. Now, gentlemen, I wonder if I could have a comment from you two on this one uh, in the policy, and this is from National and NZ First. Liberalize genetic engineering laws while ensuring strong protections for human health and the environment. The thoughts on this one? Yeah, look, I'm 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 not a I'm neither an expert on on generic engineering and genetic modification. Um, you know, part of me says this is science evolving. This is where, yeah. you know, human ingenuity is coming to the fore. Another part of me says, well, do we fully understand what the implications are? 
you know, uh, are we are we opening a, a, a Pandora box which will never close? Um, be perfectly honest, I do not know. I haven't done enough work on it. Um, I'm sorry, but I, I really can't proffer anything of any value uh, by way of a statement on it. Donna, do you have thoughts on this? Well, I have, I have thoughts uh, that are no better than Owen's really, uh, though, because uh, all I remember was the GE, uh, sorry, the GMO discussion in about 2002, there was a Royal Commission and it was that New Zealand would allow or would, would, would assess each attempt uh, or uh, not attempt, that's not the right word. Any any application to release a GM and GMO in New Zealand would be on a case-by-case basis. And I'm not aware of um, anything getting through the hoop necessarily. I, I haven't followed it well. And when it comes to GE, um, I'm more concerned about transgenics and than GE, but um, could be completely wrong. And of course, I suppose we had something that was engineered uh, in the last couple of years called the, the vaccines. Mm. Um, what what regime does that fit under? I don't know. Uh, but so I'm not learned on this either. But one thing I do know, and I'm supportive of, of it, is that everything should be rigorously assessed, case by case, yeah. proper discussion in society. I mean, this is one that society can have a discussion about yeah. and actually make some issue, uh, some rules about again. But it shouldn't, at the same time, uh, think that that links into methane or or climate or something like that. That's um, just got no no relevance to it. But you can see I what quite, these. Yeah, I, in that regard, Don, I quite like the blue green debate um, model, which has never really been tried properly, but has been talked about, where where a process is set up that's not going to be, you know, just happen in a day. It can go on over a period of time where both sides are able to put their case. Because, you know, what what the whole social media thing has done is given everybody a voice and an opinion and 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 a good thing in some ways, a bad thing in others. That's another story. But you could set up a process where over time an issue like this can be dealt with. People can counter-argument, argument and counter-argument. Um, I think we could do it in a mature kind of way. But, you know, I think back to um, my father was a was a pedigree jersey breeder and he loved his pedigree jerseys. And somebody announced that there's going to be a new thing come in called artificial insemination. My dad was horrified. He thought that was a development which should never happen. It was interfering with nature. And, um, you know, it was going to be the end of, of Jersey breeding and, and um, genetics or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, it came and, you know, we just accept it today. Now, not a, not a very good parallel, but, but when it comes to science, um, you know, scientists are going to keep coming up with things whether we like it or whether we don't. The mm. issue is the process by which we look at them, judge them, and then if we want to adopt them, yeah, I think that's well yeah. spoken, Owen. Um, uh, the evolution of I- ideas, the good bits stand the test of time, the bad bits don't. The thing that I think the people are worried about here is the releasing bad bits that can't get be- put back in the bottle. I do see that the New Zealand First uh, Coalition Agreement, Jasper, says that liberalised genetic en- engineering laws while ensuring strong protections for human health and the environment. So they've widened that remit. It's uh, almost put it into a straitjacket. So very hard for it to go past, get past go, I would imagine. 
Don, I'll, just I'll repeat. Just thinking about the Wuhan laboratory press. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Don, t- I'll go back to what I said uh, about halfway through the show, that what worries me is the regulator is now the private sector. We are yes. looking at these coalition agreements. We are all focused here. Now, now, let me give you an example, and I appreciate, Owen, you might you might be aware of it, but just in case. Now, there's this outfit called AgriTech NZ, not to be confused with AgriZero. AgriTech NZ. It was set up a few years ago, and it was established, their website says, as a community to bring together an alliance of agricultural technology associations, all well and good. Now, under this particular incubator, they mentioned that they have an agri-tech industry transformation plan, not an agricultural transformation plan, an agri-tech industry transformation plan, because they say there's 700 to 900 agri-tech companies in New Zealand, and they want to uh, gather value. Now, all right. You are not mentioning agriculture, just agri-tech. I'm fine with that. Still, we continue. Then in 2050, uh, not in 2050, in 2018, this particular outfit, they signed up to this agreement called Farm 2050, making New Zealand the first country partner, along with agri-tech New Zealand, signing on the behalf of New Zealand to address the need for sustainable food production. This Farm 2050 agreement that agri-tech signed was signed in San Jose, California, during the 2018 Silicon Valley Agritech Immersion Program. No one knows about it. No one is talking about it. And now when I go to the Farm 2050 website, they say that New Zealand is the first one, again, just like being the first country partner, we are being the first country to trial the NTTP, the Nutrient Technology Trialing Platform. And I know I've gone on for a while, but what they're saying is, that in across the world, New Zealand has been chosen because New Zealand is very aware of the impact of New Zealand nutrient runoff and leaching into the environment, which has led to regulatory mitigation efforts and acute awareness from the local dairy industry. This problem must be solved. So again, the regulation, where is the government in this? Where is the farmers in this? We've got a group of agri-tech industry bodies that collaborated, formed agri-tech. This went on to California, signed an agreement with Silicon Valley entrepreneurs that, hey, sign us up as the first country partner to farm 2050. Then again, sign us up to the first nutrient technology trialing platform. What is going on? The the stranglehold of legislation. I no longer look at the parliament anymore for, you know, this trail of uh, regulation coming. As I am now looking at Silicon Valley tech entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. co-ops. What are they signing up to? This is where I'm worried about that, regardless of whether government changes mm-hmm. or not. What first stems que- this first, stream? Yeah, first question for them is, what does sustainable mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know. And who are they to assert the right to sign us up and, as a country, yeah. as farmers? That right, we are the worst produ- We are the worst doing in the world, worst performing. So we need to be leading this charge. What happens is that we have a good idea. We decide that people should take up our idea. A few voluntarily do so, the rest don't. So we immediately start thinking, well, how can we make them take up this idea? And we start looking around for devices that we can use to force people to do things. And unfortunately, what happens in our minds here in New Zealand is we don't link that 
we don't see the extension of that, which, you know, has happened historically in the 1930s um, and, and at other times, you know, when the when a country has gone down the road of saying, we've got a great idea, you're going to adhere to that. You're going to buckle under and sign up to that, whether you like it or not. Um, and, and it always ends in tears. It ends in disaster. Mm. Ultimately, that road of forcing people with the weight of the law and regulation behind you uh, ends in tears. And, and, and we just need to understand that. We need to understand that we, as human beings, work together on a voluntary basis far more effectively and, and far more satisfyingly on a voluntary basis than we do under the pressure of the law and being policed. Said. Yeah, well, well said, um, Owen. Um, and just lastly, on that front, Jasper, what do you think the aspiration, aside from um, some people getting wealthy out of this, this data aggregation, what do you think the end game is with it uh, in Farm 2050? Aggregation of data is the big game in town, isn't it? Yeah, big data. And I'll put my cynical hat on, not that I ever took it off, Tone. But, you know, you are talking about 700 to 900 companies who would all be rubbing their hands in glee that, hey, there is a great data mining uh, opportunity here, which is going to lead to revenue somewhere. So these so-called, I don't know, they were voluntary at some time, I would say, the agricultural technology companies that came together under this banner. But they have no right to sign up New Zealand to Farm 2050, because each time you sign that, you go off to San Jose, mm -hmm. California, to sign up... Uh, primary industries to this and start this nutrient trialing platform. And they say they're currently doing maize and grapes because wine and maize as a cattle feed is big. How many farmers know you are doing this? Mm. And this lot, regardless of what government comes in or doesn't, they have their, I'd say they have their future planned on. They have. They know exactly how much revenue they're getting, what levies they're going to be getting, what sort of data they need, and data is data is gold. Data is what this is about. Yeah. The one who has your data controls you, don't they? Power always gravitates to the centre. It, it does it in governments. It does it in the private sector. It does it in companies. It does it in communities. The power will always head toward the centre. Our role, your role, and my role. And the people that think like us is to fight against that. We constantly have to push back against centralization of power. Um, it's as simple as that. It doesn't matter whether it's the RMA, whether it's methane, or, or whether it's some social issue. Um, eventually, for power to reside amongst the people, which is the essence of democracy, there has to be a struggle, a no, never-ending struggle, a never-ending demand on each one of us to push back against the centralization of power. Yep, 100%, Owen. Um, fantastic. Uh, good way to end the show uh, with a statement as, as palpable and powerful as that. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, Make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.